Hello, I'm Dick Foth, and I'd like to welcome you to Known, stories to make sense of it all. And these stories are what I call walking books, real-life people from different places, different ages, different cultures, and I want to have some conversations with them across disciplines and generations and cultures in order to encourage a kind of knowing, uh, fresh lenses through which to see the world. One of those lenses will be scripture, or more specifically, Jesus of Nazareth, whose life, I believe, changed the course of the history of the world. So, thanks for listening in. Great to have you with us. So I'm having this great conversation um, in the portico of Monticello, Thomas Jefferson's home near Charlottesville, Virginia. Wind is blowing, rain is coming down, children are running to and fro. So that's the context. That's the ambient noise you're going to hear in this conversation. I'm having the conversation with my two friends, Peter Hartwig and Peter Sorensen. And um, also in the mix was Peter Hartwig's son, Peter Hartwig II. Uh, and I brought him into the conversation. This is part two. We did part one a little earlier. This is part two. And I've asked Peter to reflect on what he sees and has seen in the elder two Peters, Peter Sorensen and Peter Hartwig, in their friendship, their impact on the city of Charlottesville, uh, at the University of Virginia, and so on. Peter, you've grown up watching this. You've grown up observing your dad and Sorensen here. Uh, some thoughts. Talk to me about that. Yeah. So I was told some time ago that the periods in which you'll most change in life, at least most compactly, are your first six months of college and your first six months after college. And of my friends who are doing truly impressive things and they're in DC and they're consulting, they're working 100 hours a week and their lives are getting off the ground and they're figuring out the adult world, I've had the weirdest six months after college because I spend three, uh, three breakfasts a week if I can get up just hanging out with 50 to 70-year-olds, sometimes 40-year-olds, talking about life and faith and thought and leadership and Jesus. And, and you're still letting your parents live with you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, they, they're very respectable tenants. I haven't had a problem yet. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. And uh, they keep the place clean, mostly. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And it's been, um, you know, it's been tough in some ways to come out of the idea village that is a university and to meet people with real lives and real flesh and blood. And I think that's been a huge adjustment for me. Um, but I've also seen a real sense of a generational gap in the way in which people who don't affiliate in their 40s to 70s, they when they don't affiliate, they don't affiliate in a different way than people my age don't affiliate. By don't affiliate, you're talking about being part of an organization? Yeah, or part of institutional something like something. that. Yeah, so people my age, if you say, are you religious, and you say no, and they yeah. say no, and then you say, well, what are you? They might say, well, I'm spiritual but not religious. Or they might say, yeah. I'm part of the religious nuns, N-O-N-E, part of the nuns. Yeah, right, okay. Um, but people older, that's not the way 
they they process their default mode of so to speak not believing older people yeah okay and so what I by older you mean 40 and up yeah 40 and up okay and what I have so so I've noticed a generational gap but what I think I've really gained this year is a sense of the things that probably will bridge every ministry and every generation the sort of things that every ministry, as each generation picks up the task of following Jesus with other people, they're going to have to do. And I think they are, for the most part, an imagination that's captivated with Jesus and the way he interacts with other people. Okay. So what, what I think changes is the way you come to the scriptures to figure that out. I think what changes is what time of the day you meet. I think what changes is the vocabulary you use and the way you pitch it. But at the center of it, I really think are people with imaginations for what it means to love people the way Jesus loves people, or maybe even just interact with people the way Jesus interacts with people. You know, when I, when I used to live in, when Ruth and I used to live in D.C. and people would come and visit, I always liked walking the monuments at night. And the first place we would go is that, that seated, that sculpture of Einstein seated on Constitution Avenue in front of the National Academy of Sciences, this big bronze where his feet are on this platform, if you will, and it's the solar system on the night he was born, 18-whatever-it-was, the night he was born. But there are lots of little sayings by Einstein. One of my favorite sayings is that in life, imagination is more important than knowledge. Because, because it has no limits. So you're saying that the thing that crosses the generations, if I heard you correctly, is coming to Jesus or, or the story of Jesus with, with an open heart, open mind, not putting him in a religious box or am I reading into that? No, no, that? I don't. I think that's about right. Um, I think... Here's a funny thing. A lot of people my age have, a l they gristle a little bit at the word institution. Right. But the funny thing is anything that lasts more than a generation is an institution already. Right. And I think that for a lot of us who even, are... Even families. Yeah, even families. Yeah. Okay. So I think a lot of us who are raised in churches that when we were kids, we thought were full of life and kind of edgy in a way. Well, now they're sort of the box. Yeah, yeah. And in order to break the box, I think that takes imagination. Now, you can either just be transgressive and kind of blow the fish tank and watch all the fish die as they flop around on the floor, okay. or you can use that or you can engage that imagination with the person of Jesus. Okay, so, so when you two older guys, Hartwig and Sorensen, and you're, you're, not, you're not old at all, I'm old, but you're, right. when you right. hear Peter talk like this, when you hear him explain yes. what you do, yes. in, in essence, in that way, how do you, how do you see that? What, do you, what are you hearing when, when young Peter says that, either of you? Well, I would say this. This is Hartwig. Right. So here's what I would say. What would I, you say, Dad? I, would, I, I pastor a local church, yeah. and I became keenly aware that my one percenter friends were not interested in coming. In this little exchange, obviously, the question is, what are one percenters? In Peter Hartwig's vocabulary, one percenters are those folks in the top echelon of wealth in the United States of America, that sort of elite group. And in and around that city and other cities like it, there are numbers of those folks uh, sort of, uh, we talk about down and outers historically, 
there are a whole section or group of people who are up and outers. So Peter explains that. So a cursory reading of the gospel says you've got to go where the people are. And so in essence, what we've done is we have set up a format in two country clubs and in a hotel, and we meet there weekly. And um, so I think the imagination part would say it is it's incumbent upon us to figure out how to get to them, not vice versa. Sure. And so in setting up in country clubs and in a hotel, uh, I think that has just worked famously. And a lot of these men who've been with us for eight years, some of them have never set foot in a church yet. We are their church now. We are. And so they come every week. They hear about Jesus. Many of them have been baptized in our friend's pool who's on the leadership team. So it's literally become that. So that, to me, would be the uh, imagination. Peter, I don't know what you'd say. Well, Dick, you know, I mean, as you look at nature, and here we are in a very beautiful setting, you know that God's creative. And when God's creative and we have this incredible counselor that, that shows us where to go and what to do and what to say, it, it means that God, we open a door and allow God to work in any number of ways. And I know that Pete Hartwig's probably most scary moments are when I call him up and say, hey, Pete, what if? And it, literally anything could follow that. That's what true. if? And uh, so one of the first things I did when, when Pete and I met uh, I had had a, a trip planned to Africa to go over in, in uh, the middle of Jos, Nigeria. And so I said, Pete, do you want to go to Africa with me? And I'd only been in the church. My family had only been in the church maybe three or four months. And his knee-jerk response was, yes, I will go. I, absolutely. So we go over. We stop in London on the way to Nigeria, get a call, and they say, listen, riots have broken out in the city you're going to. What do you want us to do? The team is already there. Do you want us to bring them out, or uh, what do you want to do? And we looked at each other and said, let's go. Let's just go do it. And uh, I have to say that God has been so creative in the number of things that we've done and the impact uh, of the things that we've done. It's been astounding. And I remember Chesterton has said, you know, God, following God is life's only perpetual novelty. And the ministry we've been able to do together. This is the writer G.K. Chesterton? That's right. Okay. And, and it absolutely has been. It has been anything but boring. It has been challenging. There have been times that we've kind of looked at each other and said, wow, you know, is this really going to work? And it does. And it does. And, and I think uh, when, you, when you match creativity with a God-given relationship and the inspiration to go out and make a difference, then life is very exciting. Okay. So let me, let me come back for just a minute to Jefferson and his two friends, yes. Monroe and Madison, they want to be in proximity with each other. You two guys, Hartwig and Sorensen, are friends. You're the older dudes. And then we've got young Peter Hartwig here, 22 years old. There's this wonderful number that I like, where it says we're two or three yes. gather. When, when we get together in his authority, or with him in mind, with it, and I'm paraphrasing here in his name, um, he shows up, right? So. For me, the idea of you two guys being friends, it isn't that you meet in country clubs, although that's very cool, or it isn't that you, you, you're edgy and go out and find guys who, you know, just you, they talk about Jesus mostly on the third hole when they miss a putt or right, something. Right, right. But it's the fact that you like each other or the fact that you love each other. Yes. That, that, that that's really the message. Yes. Look how they love each other. And, and then you get the next generation in this, and 
and you love him, and he loves you, and you hang out with your dad. Just give us a snapshot of what it's like to hang out. Well, we're going to let Peter the Younger go first on Well, that's this. what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I want Peter the Younger. You, you guys have talked. Yeah. Have... I think people my age operate often under an incredible insecurity when we really have to work closely to people older than us. I, I, that's been my experience. Uh, when you leave the expensive babysitting of college where you've done it incredibly well and everybody gave you an accolade for everything you did and you move into a world that's far more diverse, not only you know, racially, culturally, socially, but also age-wise, and then you're asked to side up next to these people who at any moment could, if they wanted, look over and just go, eh, little baby, thinks it knows what it's doing. <laughs> look at that thing crawling around on the floor trying to trade on the stock floor. Yeah, that's adorable. Or like, oh, look at that cute little Peter going up there talking about the Gospel of Mark. Isn't that cute? He thinks he knows Greek. That's so adorable. Yeah. There's an incredible insecurity that, sure. that I have worked through this year trying to talk about life to guys who have done life far more but my experience through the whole of it has through the whole of it has been one of incredible support even when I've fallen flat on my face mm -hmm. on the Bible okay. and so I think for me that's been it is that my I've had this community of older guys and this really odd relationship where in theory I'm kind of ministering to them in air quotes but at the same time, they're really pouring into me this incredible vote of confidence. And so I, it's, it's hard for me to imagine what it would mean to be 22 years old, to walk into a consulting firm, to have nobody assigned to oversee you and to start have to producing in front of people who are sharp and intelligent and scary and have no real loyalty to you. Yeah. But I've had this year to watch this ministry where my insecurity is that I don't have anything to contribute because the digits of my age only end up to four, you know, yeah. that I, even though I afraid that I don't have anything to contribute people behind me cheering me on and in the most humble way because cheering me on means they play my audience sure. and I think that you want to talk about the giant laying down right what happens when the giant lays down and then listens to what you have to say sure. and doesn't go oh what a cute little toddler you know what I mean um, and so that has been the way that these friendships have affected me is because the mutual affection there doesn't translate down into this kind of patting on the head, way to go, tiger, authorizing structure. It upends itself so that these friendships support me, actually, and push me up yeah. as I move on, on the one hand, to do the ministry, but on the other hand, need to figure out my own life relationships. So every fight with the best friend and break up, and I don't know how to keep up with people from college, and my sisters are smarter than me, and that really bugs me. These are guys I can go to who can go, why don't you take a look at it this way? Yeah. And then they'll cook me dinner, too, while they're at it, here, you know? Here. Yeah. Now we're talking. <laughs> well, let, let, me just, let me just wrap this up this way. You, you know, Peter Sorensen and Peter Hartwood, the first. You're here in Charlottesville, Charlottesville. Yep. You're staying here. You're hanging out. And part of the power of all this is that you've stayed with it. You've stayed with each other. Sure. You've stayed with very the dream. Much. You've added on to the dream. You do nutsy stuff every now and again, and that keeps everybody off balance. That's good. Yes. And and Peter the Tooth, young Peter, you're off to Cambridge here in a few months. And But one of the things that I observe about all three of you is that is that you have this wide range of friends that aren't your friends because they all believe the way you believe. Right. 
their friends because whatever, because you you like them, because because you go out to the farthest out or you do all these things. You none of you seems to be afraid, if I can put it this way, of hanging out with people who are pretty different than you are in terms of how they think about things. Is that is that fair to say? Well, you, you know, Dick, if God is sovereign and if he orders our steps, right. Sorry. then I see literally every single relationship as a gift from him, yeah. whether it's a waiter in a restaurant or a busboy or somebody in a country club doesn't much matter to me. Yeah, yeah. But those are orchestrated of God, yeah. and, and I thank him for them. That's, that's just fun. We're, we're gaining part of the tour group here in Monticello, so we're just, we're just letting folks go on by. This is part of the ambient noise of creative <laughs> podcast production. <laughs> So, so Hartwig. Yes. Um, Quit looking at those people. I, I, right. So here, here's what I would say. I am finding that there are a lot of men, I'm 52, who are 10 years either side of me or 10 years below me and 20 years above me, who really are lonely people. Yeah. I'm finding this to be true. At this point, Peter Hartwig introduces a theme that I find pivotal to a lot of conversations today. We live in a culture, and I don't know exactly how this works, but I observe that, that women can sit and talk to each other face-to-face -face, uh, quite easily. Men, oftentimes, on the other hand, don't easily start there. Where they tend to start is side-by-side -side and then might move from face-to-face. -face. But Peter has some interesting observations about how relationships work among men. And the Faith and Leadership Forum has been a model for some of these men of what man-to-man um, -man relationship can look like. And they've confessed that to us. And Dick, I was sharing this with you in the car earlier today, that there was a man who lives in this very wealthy community. And he has come to the Faith Forum now for about a year. And he pulled me aside about a week ago and he said, listen, Pete, he said, most of these wealthy men here, I grew up with them. They're, they're the aristocratic Southern wealth. And he said, until we came to the Faith Forum together, we never really had meaningful conversation. We were like frat brothers that never grew up. And since coming here and learning more about God and seeing what God cares about, it's given us stuff to talk about that has really been completely different than anything we've conversed about before. Wow. And so Jesus has become real to them in ways that I think truly matters and looks like the gospel. Sure. That's what I see. I'm, I'm going to circle back. I'm coming to you, young Peter. Here, I'm waiting finally. for you. I'm coming. I'm, I'm right. I'm all over it. But but I want you to. Th it, maybe there's a, a verse or an idea that has been central to you that you oh, like yeah. to there is. like to share. Yes. And I'd like to do that. So it, so it gives us another place to land. But uh, Peter, so you've got. Uh, you know you you're like Steve Martin. You 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 hang out with a group of wild and crazy guys. You you know who Steve Martin is? Oh yeah. He, he's older. Yeah. Inspector Clouseau. So. Uh, how do, you, how do you navigate or why do you embrace this broad reach of people that are just pretty different than you are? I mean, 
I mean, the, the actual, this is the actual story about that, and I'll keep it short, but I was yeah. in some real relational struggles with a girlfriend in college. I hate that. Yeah, it's the yeah. worst. Well, it might be the best, also, though, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> depending on how it ends up, that could have been the best. And um, everybody in my college fellowship said, you need to talk in, to Nick and Lindsay. They were undergrads. They were the power couple. They'd been dating for three years, and I went to talk to them. And... Uh, at the end of the conversation, I thought, you know, they really haven't given me any new thoughts. Yeah. This was not the most helpful conversation. I realized they're about six months out from crashing and burning from where I am. I mean, their their advice has so about a, they've got like a nine month shelf life at best. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like these thoughts are really about to go on sale. <laughs> and so I had this idea: what if I could find a friend in every decade of life, somebody in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s that they were around, yeah. and we would just go to dinner together. Yeah. And I could hear what a 70-year-old, a 60-year-old, 50-year-old, 40-year-old, 30-year-old thinks about where I'm at. Okay. Because I'm assuming this gets better with age, right? And so that's been one way in which I've approached these relationships, these older guys in the faith forum. Yeah. Um, and so I can think of two guys off the top of my head who talk about their wives and their eyes just grow the size of dinner plates. They're in their 70s. And one of their, one of their wives is alive. They're both in their 70s. One's a widower. When they talk about their wives, their just heart starts beating right on the edge of their sleeve. And so I thought, I, li- I want to be like that. Yeah. So I walked up to one and said, would you like to get dinner? And he said, yes. Then I said, can you cook? And we went over to his place. You <laughs> uh, are the ultimate creative moocher. <laughs> I, I did bring, I brought the German chocolate cake. Well, pulled my weight, no, right? Okay, no, I would so that's been, that's been one thing, is you think about the long haul of life. And I want somebody who's kind of on every car of the train as this is moving down the yeah. tracks. Hopefully, we all end up we all end up at the same place. And one of the things that I've been surprised by is a lot of my friends have said, "You know, you have a lot of older friends." Mm-hmm. And I go, "Yeah." And I think they're going to be like, I, "I get ready for them to make fun of me." Be like, "Don't you have anybody to take to the prom?" And they usually just go, "Why do you do that?" And I've noticed, and and research has also suggested that people my age feel incredibly ungrounded. We're just kind of floating. We don't have roots anywhere. We don't have anybody to attach to. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in, in big churches, 20-somethings ministries are trying to figure out where, how do we help 20-somethings attach? But this is a curious fact to bounce up against that. Research also shows that we're the most generous generation in yeah. American history. Yeah. Not only will I give to causes I care about, but Dick, if you're my friend and you're two years older than me, I'll give to causes you care about, even if I don't really know what's going on there. I'd like to talk about that when we're done. And that... <laughs> That seems to me. My son has no money. <laughs> I, am I, am I a cause that you care about? Because your friends give to that too. Yeah. But that that suggests to me that we're also really ready to connect. Yeah. That we're ready to put our heart out where our friends' hearts are to connect there too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so on the one hand, we are ground. We're, we often feel rootless and ungrounded. Okay. We're trying to connect. But on the other hand, we are trying to connect. Okay. Um, and I've just had the joy of being able to do that with people in kind of every decade of life and uh, you know I also have friends my own age guys I would just like to remind everybody a lot of them. that I have uh, that yeah. I have a good chunk of friends my own age yeah. and they also don't believe what I believe and that's well, fun yeah, too. they keep me sharp and they're diverse yeah. okay so here's the deal we're gonna wrap this up but maybe just one last thought it might be a scripture it might be an idea or just sure some some thought so so quick so thought Sorensen uh, man it's not good for a man to be alone. And I personally believe that when God has an important ministry for you, he'll bring somebody alongside of you. And you think of David Livingston out in the middle of Africa and Henry Stanley had to go find him. And I think God sent him down there. Well, 
for me, Pete Hartwig has been this incredible partner uh, in this ministry he's entrusted to us. And I know young Peter Hartwig will have a vibrant ministry. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I know that the Lord's going to bring people alongside of him yeah. in his future yeah. uh, to be fruitful together and to encourage each other. And that's what it's been for me. Great. So, Dick, uh, you mentioned a biblical something. Yeah. And so this ministry is based on Nicodemus coming at night to see Jesus. Yeah. He's a powerful guy. He's wealthy. He's got way too much to lose to come during the daylight. Yeah. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him for that. Yeah. But what's amazing is when Jesus dies, the disciples scatter, and a guy shows up by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Mm -hmm. And the Gospels tell us that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea go get the body together from Pilate, and they put it in the tomb. Quite frankly, that's how I see Peter Sorensen and myself. Mm -hmm. is this idea that God has blessed us with connections with the 1%. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we go in there and we look for Jesus together. Yeah. And so it's been amazing. I, I think he's more Joseph of Arimathea and I'm more Nicodemus. But mm -hmm. I don't know if you'd agree or disagree. <laughs> but I think through that, God has allowed us to go and see Jesus show up in places that the men and the women that are there have told us they've never heard this before. That's so great. it's exciting. Great. Yep. Any last thought, young Peter? You know, I re I love both of those. It's not good for a man to be alone. Going to people where they need to be met, need to be met. Um, one thought that's really become uh, deeply meaningful to me is just the idea that God cares. Yeah. God cares, yeah. right? When you if something is lost and you save it, you save it because you don't want it to go to waste. You care about it, and you sometimes read these letters, the New Testament, and they sound a little desperate. But maybe it's because they care. Like the pastor cares about, Paul cares about the Ephesians and whoever wrote Hebrews cares about the Hebrews. And God cares. God has, God's willing to put God's hand in anything. And again, that's, you know, there's no one who Jesus, with whom Jesus doesn't want to be friends. There's no place he wouldn't walk. Jesus is trying to get in touch with everybody. But I think in a world for people my age where we often feel alone, to know that at least God cares, that's a real place to start. Peter Sorensen. Peter Hartwig the first, Peter Hartwig the second, thank you. This is Dick Foth for Known. That was fun. That is one long recording. <laughs> it's still going. <laughs>